Good morning, everyone, on Yes FM, your voice in the valley. You're with Kath Kovac on Women's Voices. I hope everyone's doing well this morning. Bit of a cool change in the air. This morning on Women's Voices, I have a special local guest, which makes a nice change because I very often speak to people who are from all over the countryside. Um, and I have Mel Greenhalge here, who um, lives in Sutton. And Mel is a neuro coach and author. Thanks for joining us, Mel. How are you going? I am extremely pleased to be here, Kath. And uh, yeah, can't wait to sort of have a bit of a chat with you today on a Friday. It feels like the lovely way to end the week for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's been a busy week for you now. It has. It's been, I was saying, like, you know, really lovely. Lots of fantastic things happening this week. But I'm looking forward to some rest as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's nice. Always nice to, to end the week on uh, not a crazy note. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so Mel, yeah, you just told me uh, before we came on air that you were a neuro coach. So um, before we we going to talk about um, helping women uh sort of redefine what success means for them, but we'll get to that. So just first of all, can you tell me a little bit about what it's like being a neuro coach from day to day? Oh, wow. It's so broad. It's it's really interesting because often you're asked, what do you do? And neuro coaching is about helping people understand the brain and the way that it works. One of the things we find is that we tend to be on autopilot when it comes to our brain. So it does all these beautiful automatic functions in terms of breathing and organ, you know, doing all the things that it needs to do. And that's fantastic. But there's also a whole lot of about the brain that we can hack and we can use to our advantage, particularly when it comes to our emotional health, our well-being, you know, and those sorts of things. So traditionally what I help women with is a lot around transitions that they might be experiencing so I I have a saying which is called having a meerkat moment and that is when a woman looks up from her life and you know looks to the left looks to the right and then goes how did I get here what am I doing here what is it I want who am I and of course a lot of that is often wrapped up those identity issues are wrapped up with uh, maybe we've been really busy with career. Maybe we've been really busy with family, raising children, being a part of the communities, as we often are. And amongst that, we tend to just lose a little bit of connection with self along the way. So it's really about bringing the context that women live in um, and all of the the pressures and the scripts and the stories and, and the, some of the conditioning that we experience and then it's really connecting them with the power of the brain and being able to strategically use that to find their way back to themselves. Mm, yeah, well, that's a huge thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I love that that image of the meerkat. I'm just, you know, <laughs> like a meerkat. Now, Absolutely. You know? <laughs> just popping up and uh you know, and the truth is too, sometimes we can pop up and down and and we can only ever engage in really answering those questions when we're ready and we're the only ones that know when we're ready. So I think it's important for women not to feel pressure to have it all sewn up and you know it really is about teaching you how to maintain your own well-being across your lifespan because there is no perfect 
end destination or a place that we find ourselves that's perfect you know it it doesn't exist emotions come and go Uh, none of them are are particularly you know evil or good or better than one another they are just what they are but it takes some time to just I'm very much about gently exploring these things taking away the pressure um, you know kind of releasing the pressure valve on the pressure cooker (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, um, you know, you can find yourself for, for a good couple of decades there, if not more, just just feeling the impact of that. And so when the moment is right and you're ready, you know, my message is always that you never have to do that alone, you know, that, and it's it's not about the fact that you don't know something or you don't know enough or that you can't do it for yourself, but it's the fact that collectively we all hold a lot of wisdom and if you can potentially learn off the skin knees of some and then you know share with others you know that's that's actually a beautiful kind of energy loop that maintains our our well-being and often our sanity Mm. you know yeah that's so true about um uh that you don't have to do it alone. And mm. unfortunately I find that um, it's very easy to feel that you do, that mm. there is no help out there um, or that, you know, everybody has their own problems and, um, you know, that you sort of probably need to deal with them yourself. So, but of course this is not true, but often as women um, we are reluctant to ask for that help having, you know, just been the ones keeping everyone else together for all those years. Um, and so, you know, I think that a lot of women might feel pressure to kind of sort this stuff out for themselves mm. and not actually um, or not even know that there that there is, mm. you know, some help available for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned about, you know, that these things uh, – don't um, emotions don't last or that situations and everything don't last like so and it can change and I mean I'm experienced myself because last and earlier in this year I felt fantastic on top of the world and uh, really felt better than I've I think I've ever felt in my life and everything was easy and I you know um, whenever I thought that I should do something I was like oh yeah I'll just go and do it and I did it and now uh, a few months later, it's all changed again. And I look at the things that should be done and I go, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I just couldn't be bothered. Um, and it's really not a nice place to be in. But at least I know that um, it, you know, it's not going to stay like this either. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's... One of the things that we can often do as humans, so the brain itself, we know via the research that 80% of our thoughts are what we call automatic negative thoughts. And there's a, there's a reason for that. And, and it's interesting because traditionally, I think women in particular have been really drawn towards a narrative where we are like, you know, we've got sort of like the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other and that they're a little bit at war with one another. And I think if you really get into the science of the brain and why you have those negative thoughts, it's it comes back to that idea that we're wired to avoid pain and to seek pleasure. 
when we look at pain as an experience, we the brain sort of says, look, I've got some evidence from past painful experiences that, you know, you're going to get hurt in this situation. So I've got a plan. Why don't we just stay in the cave on the bearskin rug by the fire? And if you don't cross the threshold and leave the cave, you'll never get hurt. Doesn't that sound like a great plan? Because the brain's primary purpose is to keep us alive at all costs. That's why we have an amygdala. That's why, uh, you know, when something really dangerous or traumatic occurs, we divorce ourselves from our executive thinking on autopilot and we go straight into that primitive brain and it will do everything it can, including that fight, fight, uh, sorry, flight, fight, fawn or freeze um, responses. So, but what that does, when we have a look at that, the context of that, and we know that 80% of those thoughts every day are automatically moving towards negative to avoid pain. When we find ourselves in a slump, of course, what do we focus on? We focus on those negative thoughts and we get really consumed by them. So when you were describing Kath earlier in the year, interestingly, you're really tuning into the 20% and you were talking about it, everything felt like it was coming with more ease. And of course, what happens there is you start to create a positive feedback uh, and positive reinforcement. So 20% shifts out into maybe 30. I mean, you would be able to give the sort of, you know, but 30 or 40%. And what that does is it just gives your brain, our brains love to look for solutions, even though it, it sort of will hang out in problem-based thinking as much as it can. It's, and, and so this is where the hack comes because we want to really spend more time considering what is it that we're enjoying, what is it that we're loving, and obviously moving our brain towards more of the pleasure side of the things that we, we want to seek. Now, Truth be known, at the moment, we're probably, I mean, a lot of listeners would probably be thinking, oh, yeah, you know, dopamine hits are great via our telephones as an example, right? So we have to be quite crafty about going, hmm, who's pulling the strings here? And that's where really connecting back in with yourself when you're having that, that whether you call it a slump or you're a bit stuck in a rut, um, Maybe you're just in that repetitive pattern. You know, I call it the goofy loop. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, yeah, it's just kind of easier to go, yeah, I feel, I feel crappy. Mm -hmm. Right. And to just sit with that. If you're able to just gently tease out, what, why are you feeling that way? What's going on? What's going on for me that, you know, and acknowledging that you don't have to fix it mm. because it's not broken. It's just a moment. It's a, it's a period of time. And, but tuning into yourself, what do I need right now? Maybe it's a mixture of maybe I do need some rest. And I'm, sleep and rest are very different, okay? And rest could be things like maybe I need to connect back with the things that bring me joy. Nature, creativity, laughter, people. Maybe it's not people, 
Okay, if you're somebody that, you know, finds that quite draining and it spends a lot of the dollars in your energy envelope every day, maybe it's Mm. a bit of, I need to set some boundaries and say no, you know. So um, we really... We really need to come back into what are those, what are those opportunities to create the joy and, to, and ultimately what you're creating is that positive reinforcement loop and it's just shifting the levels, turning the volume down on the things that are a bit more problem-based and mm-hmm. making you feel lower yep. and turning the volume up on some of the things that really yeah, bring you joy and, and what we call glimmers. You know? Yeah, I've heard of that um, recently. I've I've seen the uh, word glimmer mm. used around, which is, uh, from my understanding, just f- focusing on something um, positive that's happening and at the at the moment, mm. and just trying to, you know, feel joy or what have you from the fact that that's happening. Whether it's just like a rainbow in the sky or mm. you know anything like that, rather than than always kind of focusing on the negative is that right yeah and look glimmers is um in the research that's one of the the ways that we're we've traditionally but also now really working on helping people manage triggers and interestingly when you're talking about um it is absolutely about catching something that might be happening right now but you can also go like go to the past with consent and find those times in your life where you experienced joy and retrieve those glimmers. We have we have a lifetime of them, mm. of the moments that maybe it was for some people when they uh, were young and travelling, when they were maybe a bit younger and carefree or they were driving down the highway the first time they had their license you know windows down that 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 exhilarating sensation of freedom you know Mm -hmm. and if you want to know if it's if something is a glimmer it will feel you will have a feeling and a sensation in your body and you will i love it when i sit with people and they're recalling glimmers or they're telling me about the things that they have felt great about that they've achieved between our sessions because they expand and they they get they sit taller their face the all the non-verbal cues just shift and somebody can go very quickly from being quite contracted reserved withdrawn into recalling this moment and just growing in themselves and you know for some people you might feel tingly you might get butterflies in your tummy Uh, there's lots of indications through your body that energetically that's creating a glimmer in you so Mm -hmm. and and I think it is a bit it 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 definitely links with that idea of practicing gratitude Uh, but it's can sometimes it's more just coming into that present what where what's what's happening right now because humans spend a lot of time in the past and a lot of time in the future. Mm. Yeah. And absolutely what we have is right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Um, and it's interesting thinking about that because I think a lot or have read a, a fair bit about um, uh, traumatic memories being stored in the, in the body and how mm. the body stores them uh, differently than normal memories. And so, um, yeah, you hear a lot about, you know, say if if something like how you said, uh, 
there's when you recall the glimmers, right, then you might get a nice response in your body. And it's nice to hear that because I hear a lot about, you know, when you're triggered or react to something, of course, then you feel it in your body, but a lot of people don't actually realize that. And that, that tuning into those um, physical sensations in the body and, um, again, practicing gratitude uh, and being aware of those sensations can actually help them dissipate. Mm-hmm. Um like the the negative ones but yeah that's another kind of side to it isn't it thinking about the positive the the glimmers the good memories and then tuning into your body to see how that feels and how that can feel that's a really sort of different way of looking at it and comparing oh this is how my body you know can feel to how um it very often feels whatever you know it might feel like you say contracted or in pain or whatever other um things that your body is feeling as a result of um of memories or triggers or whatever mm. so yeah i really like that um could you just go back I, I i know that fight or flight and freeze is very common to most people but uh the use of the word fawn to me mm. is a reasonably new one could you explain that kind of um yeah. impulse to when uh the the body experiences some sort of stress and goes into mm. one of these states and what's happening like neurophysically up there yeah yeah so what we know when we experience something that is traumatic feels dangerous threatens our personal safety and that can be emotionally or physically we ex- you know this this little part uh, about the size of an almond or so the amygdala will do what we call an amygdala flip and I often talk about it, um, that we have an upstairs brain and a downstairs brain and there's a staircase in between. And the upstairs brain is our executive thinking. It's where we're very analytical. We can reason, we can justify, but, and we can understand. We use it to, um, you know, really get to the core of why did that happen? What's happening? When we are experiencing that, that threat, we the brain will automatically kind of shut off from the executive thinking because it says actually i don't need you to suddenly be applying social rules to this situation i we just need to get safe and we need to maintain your safety and keep you alive so what we traditionally obviously the fight flight and uh, freeze responses are very much in the literature fawn is something that has emerged and it is really about if you were to describe it as a situation it's where we find ourselves maybe negotiating you know somebody might be um, you know threatening us or we might be in a, a situation where we actually want to say no but we say yes because we feel unsafe and we just we want to negotiate to get out of the situation and you might i mean an, an example of that to describe to the to the listeners might be if somebody was to uh, say jump in your car as an example and they're threatening you and and you know you're feeling unsafe you may turn to them so traditionally we would have said oh you would jump out of the car you know, you would fight with them or you might just freeze at the wheel. But we also know that humans can very readily turn and say, what do you need right now? I can get it for you. I can give you what you need. In an attempt, it's not about, it's not consensual, it's survival. 
And it's in an attempt to create space so that the next choice that the brain needs to make, i.e., I'm at a set of traffic lights, I've, we've stopped and I can escape. I can then flee, you know, or maybe you're in a situation and then the next opportunity allows you to fight because the person may have just lost focus or mm. concentration for a moment. So it's, it is a strategy that we, we use. And really interestingly, we found that a lot of that does um, a lot of women find themselves in the position where they need to use that negotiation. Mm. So they will try to please somebody to be able to get away and get safe in the situation. So that's kind of what fawning the the research tells us about it mm. from from the person who we know from the research it's either been based on victims or survivors and mm. and their sort of discussion of that. So yeah, and, I, and I've had a lot of, I've worked in the community sector for 30 years and so we've done a lot of work around trauma, trauma recovery. So that's the one message that I, I think given that last um, little statement that you were making, Kath, about the fact that we know about triggers and, you know, we know what they do to us. But the one thing I do want to say to anybody that might be living with trauma triggers, um, which includes me, um, I don't think, you know, there's not many of us actually that walk the earth that haven't had those experiences as part of being a human. But it is to know that the focus we need to be really moving towards is trauma recovery. Mm-hmm. We will always have our memories and they, our past is our past and we can never erase it. And neither would we want to in some ways because we do, it does shift us, it does change us and we learn things about ourselves from there and we gain different strengths and abilities and values and all sorts of things. But by the same token, we do have the ability to learn to live with our triggers in ways where we minimise the unnecessary suffering that they can create in our life and we can make sure that our recovery from any kind of trigger or episode is shorter and therefore takes away from less of our life. Mm-hmm. And that's important because depending on what the trauma is and where it's come from, sometimes it often involves someone having power over and we want to shift from that. We want to be able to reclaim our power and and really live a life where we know who we are, what we need, and then we can self-soothe and provide ourselves with that. We become very self-sufficient, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah, that's a really great way to describe it because um, relying on somebody else for your own uh, happiness or any other state of mind um, really doesn't work. <laughs> no, it's fraught with danger. And yet, and yet, the thing is too, do you know, I really, I, I mean, I, I'm always trying to help people understand that yes you are an individual and you operate in a society or a community family units all of these things but there's also context to our life and we can't dismiss the power of that so while we can say yes internal validation it's critical it's the essential component of a life well lived in my opinion however 
We can't underestimate the impact of how we are conditioned as humans to seek and rely on external validation. I'm not demonising external validation at all because I need it, you need it, people listening need it because it does, it, it makes us feel good. It, we, we get a lovely feedback loop from it, right? But I always talk to my um, clients about the fact that I, I give it the metaphor of being a very thin fuel and it burns quickly and we need, we, we, we become relentlessly thirsty for it mm. and we need to find more and more of it to be able to refuel as opposed to internal validation, which is very, it's a thicker fuel, yeah? It burns at a much slower rate and that gives us time to refuel ourselves. We, how easy is it, right, to, to seek to find ourselves. We know where we are because we're with ourselves 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's a bit intense yes. being in Mel's head for 24-7. But nonetheless, that's where I live. I hear and, you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, but how interesting that I don't need to get a certain amount of likes on social media. I don't need to go and meet with friends and tell them a story and then wait for them to give me external validation that I did really well in that situation okay I I can actually create that fuel for myself Mm. and but we need to be aware that a lot of what we're being driven towards is you know whether it's the car we drive the education we got the house we live in the clothes we wear you know the way Mm. our hair all of those external you know, signs of life, um, that's a really strong language in our community. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's not to create excuses, but you need to be aware of, of the fact that that's an influence on me. Once you know what's influencing you, that gives you the, the ability to make better decisions for yourself. Mm. Yeah, based on what you need. Yeah, great. So on Yes FM, if you've just uh, tuned in, we've been uh, listening to Mel Greenhouse talk about, um, well, a lot of <laughs> different things, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> and um, just uh, about uh, the internal or the fuel, I say, of internal validation when you just um, don't rely on on outside factors mm. to make you feel good and and find those things within that do. Um, so versus the thin, high burning fuel of you know external validation. Um, so that thick fuel, I'm kind of thinking honey. Yeah, that's sort of what came to my mind. Yeah, um, or something like that. That takes time to build up and can come through. I mean, do you find it something that? In general, it's it's older women. I'm thinking maybe you know menopausal, postmenopausal women that you <clears throat> is that they who you generally work with who have got to the point of life that they can actually um, find those sorts of things out that they mm. that they don't no longer need to seek such uh, external validation or as I call it, no longer give a crap about it what other people think. <laughs> Is that what you find, or do you yeah. work with women of all kind well, of ages? Look, I do. Well, I do work with women. Um, generally, I, I find it, it's sort of roughly that thirty-five to you know, sort of seventy. If I'm honest, it's quite. 
uh, I always find it very difficult to put, you know, someone goes, what's your 30-second elevator pitch? And I'm like, oh, my Lord, I don't know. I just work with beautiful individuals, right? That you are, have more than 30 seconds here. Yeah. It's <laughs> the long version. <laughs> That's why I was like, ah, oh, this is my place. Um, so, but, but you're absolutely right, obviously. As, as we, you know, we make sure we're planted and our feet are on the earth and we're experiencing life, the good and the bad, um, that, that time on the earth gives us wisdom. I often think that particularly when you get to a certain point, you're right and you just think, I'm done. I am done with pleasing everybody else. I'm, I'm done with being the coordinator of everything, uh, the social... <laughs> the social organizer all of it and and you really start to find a place where you're putting yourself at the center and so it's so interesting because if I'm really honest with you the women that I work with they come with an inkling they come with a a sensation and they're like something's not right I don't even really know what it is but I just want to do tomorrow differently and when we explore that, you know, quite there's, there's lots of different themes, but at its core, it's often the, that sensation that they have a core belief that if I make decisions based on what I need as the first, uh, you know, filter, that makes me selfish. Yeah, and okay. guilty. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then we go into sh- into cycles of shame, blame, and guilt. That is, I'm going to say that's the female experience. <laughs> <laughs> we don't like to generalise, but yeah, no, I know, I know, and I, and I'm like, mm, I feel like I get to because I've just I've just hung out with um yeah. with so many people who who and and the privilege that I have, if I'm honest with you, Kath, and the way the reason that I can I kind of do put that out there is because. One of the things I really work hard at and I always have across my career is to make a safe space for people because we wear, a lo- women in particular, wear a lot of hats, but we also wear a lot of masks. Mm. And I really want people to come into the space with me and feel that they can lay those down. And when you create that and you hear their stories, it's, it's a real privilege. But that moment where someone is raw and honest with themselves, sometimes for the first time, you know, to, to bear witness to that mm-hmm. is um, it doesn't leave you, actually. It's, it's, a, it's a moment where you're just like, wow. They have what I, I often call it, it's like an awakening where they intuitively know that something, they, they want it to be different. And then when they get into space with someone and they explore that and it just drops and they're like, oh, because the truth is what you, what you experience when you put yourself in the center of a decision, this thing happens where you suddenly become really calm in yourself your your capacity for compassion not only towards yourself but to others increases and you have clarity and then the ripple effect of that through your immediate family friends 
you know, work colleagues, community is just transformational. And But it seems so counterintuitive because you're like, I've been walking my whole life putting other people first. But the truth is that that often can lead to feelings of resentment, feelings of isolation, of being left out, not being seen, not being heard. And all of those things actually don't make for healthy relationships. Mm. So, you know, and believe me, it takes a leap of faith because you've, you've been anchored so heavily in the guilt, blame and shame. Mm. But it's like any muscle. An emotional muscle is no different to a physical muscle. We've just, when we first start it, it's clunky. Sometimes it's painful. It's uncomfortable. And some people won't like it. Some people are like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want this <laughs> happening, right? Yeah. But that very quickly reveals who's in and who's out, mm. right? Mm. And then we just keep applying it. And there's no such thing as failure, right? Because we're always winning or learning. What, That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it? Because it's like, oh, wow, I won today. This was great. This is why it felt great. This is how it made me feel. And you, you store that or, ah, oh, <laughs> no, that one fell a little flat. How, what did I learn from that? That's so great. Instead of, oh, well, I messily screwed that up or I, I'm a failure. Just, oh, what? That's something for me to learn from. I think that, that everybody could take that um, on board, particularly um, young uh, people. I'm thinking of teenagers in particular. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I failed. I suck at this. It's like, no. imagine that. Oh, what can I learn from this? It's such a shift. But, of course, it's so difficult because all of those things that you said, the um, putting people first and um, being the coordinator and, and pleasing people and all those things are, you know, generally as women, all that societal conditioning that we've mm-hmm. grown up with our whole lives. So Correct. it's no wonder that it's so hard and that those muscles are, you know, kind of like underused and weak. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, we've been speaking with Mel Greenhalge on Yes FM this morning. Um, and Mel, I just wanted to find out, I suppose, what's your, um, realization or, or what, what happened, um, to bring you into this line of work? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you mentioned you'd been doing work for 30 years. Oh, you must have started when you were 10. Uh, <laughs> 17. You do the math. <laughs> and so what, what drew you to, to the, the, the pathway to, to what it is that you're doing today? Oh, that's such a long, uh, you know, complicated question. I mean, in terms of coming to the community sector and working with humans initially, it, that I grew up in uh, a really difficult set of circumstances. Um, you know, my mum, a single parent family, my mum was amazing and I, I certainly had a great childhood uh, under her leadership, but we, you know, it was a struggle for her financially and and I think I, I first experienced that social conditioning when the community was sort of telling me, oh, you're from a single parent family, uh, you know, this was sort of back in the 70s and 80s, um, where, so it was pretty much kind of, I was destined apparently to be barefoot and pregnant. Uh, and... I was it luck, I don't know, but I really enjoyed school and education actually became my ticket 
to changing what was happening in our family. So I was first in family to finish year 10, year 12, and then go on to get a, a university degree. So I knew the power of education and I also knew the power of role models. So the reason I went to uni was because of uh, two teachers um, and I'm forever indebted and grateful to them for letting me know that it was possible. And they helped my mum understand what how I could access it and off I went. And fast forward, though, and I had what I call my own decade of disaster. So I had two children at the time. I was married to my, my husband um, and my best friend. So and my mum died in the January of 2009. And then my uh, that was following breast cancer. So I'd sort of cared for her for five years. And then six months later, my sister passed away. So my mum was 54 and my sister was 24. And she had two children who, and she wasn't in a, a healthy relationship. So we took her, my two nephews, into our family. And we became parents to four children overnight. And that was wild. <laughs> and they they had their own needs uh obviously everybody was on their own grief journey but they had lost their mum and you know she was their person so there was a lot of change and upheaval and we you know we had the state being involved in our family you know that's not easy when you've done you've worked your whole life to be independent and then in 2016 so kind of you know, seven years later, we experienced a house fire and we lost everything that uh, we owned. And I, it was just surreal. I, I, you just couldn't, to be just standing there and, and it's just gone. It's just a roof on top of ash um, was... It was just so devastating and we were surrounded by, in fact, it's why I, I do have a beautiful affinity with Yass. Uh, you know, the locals from Yass and Sutton and all the surrounding regions really came together and um, helped us rebuild our life. And we were in a rental. Uh, we'd managed to, after a all sorts of things, but we managed to find a rental and I went to the doctor one day and she sent me off for some tests because I was feeling tired and who wouldn't feel tired? Yeah. <laughs> and and I was a bit dismissive of just, like, I, you know, I was there for other reasons as well, but, um, and then, you know, six days later I was diagnosed with endometrial cancer. And what did all of that do? Uh, you know, I sort of went on and had the, the procedures and treatments for that. And, you know, it just really brought forward in me why I kept asking the question, why was I exposed to all these different types of losses in such a short period of time? Ten, it, like it's a long time, but it's also a very short time it was it just felt like it was one after the other after the other and you know I just realized that it was it was just about bringing life into focus 
and helping me. I'd always had the client experience of being able to be the person that I used to sort of think I held the keys to a lot of doors and gates. And I was like, what do you need? Let's find the right key. We'll go and open that and and providing that access. And then I found myself on the other end and Mm -hmm. I found it difficult to ask for help. I, my mental health was, I struggled a lot. Um, And I had to, I felt I had to keep that hidden because I was one of the professionals And I had a lot at stake because I was trying to protect my sister's two children. Uh, So it was just a lot. And then I found myself sort of once I'd got something called enduring parental responsibility with the boys and and we were a bit of a safer unit, I just sort of realised I had my own meerkat moment where I just thought, oh, what am I doing? Um, I was really tired. I was quite burnt out personally and professionally. And so I stepped away uh, and I regrouped and I was like, what am I passionate about? And I'm passionate about serving women. Mm -hmm. All of those women that I'd sat with who had experienced domestic and family violence, sexual assault and sexual harassment, I realised I wanted to be a part of the recovery journey of women. I wanted to empower women who do have resources in our community because that's how we gain strength. If we know who we are and what we need and we can see our sisters, then that gives us voice to be advocates and to support one another, regardless of who you are and where you live, what you have, what you don't have. Um, So, and I just find it joyful. It's my way of maintaining energy. So I do a lot of stuff in the community uh, like at the moment, I'm I'm running, uh, uh, helping to run a, a women's safety program, and I love that. But then I also go and work with, um, you know, women who are in public service jobs who are feeling lost, and you know, they're just like, I don't know who I am anymore. So I just have this most remarkable uh, work life now because I just I get and I'm my own boss. <laughs> It, maybe that was it, Kath. Maybe I was just like, oh, do you know what? I just I just want to tell myself what to do now. So, you know, like the other, a couple of, uh, it was earlier in the year, actually, someone said, I'd really like to go away with you for a weekend. And I was like, oh, okay, what, like on a retreat? And they were like, yeah, yeah. And I said, all right. So I went and found a venue and I ran a retreat. <laughs> Just for the two of you or a beer No, group? <laughs> no, there was eight eight women and me. But, but you know, like to have, Fantastic. That, to have that beautiful freedom is great. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. Thank you so much, um, Mel, for sharing that story. Wow, what a um, big uh, kind of um, can of worms is not the expression that oh. I'm looking for, but it's just the one that's coming to me yeah, yeah. <laughs> to open, isn't it? It's so true that we just don't know uh what anybody else has ever been through and and that being kind and and open to people is really just the best thing you can be because you just don't know um you know what kind of stuff they had to deal with in their life and and that's like a massive amount of really big big things so thank you for sharing um that mel um it's almost well we've got about sort of um maybe just bit over five minutes left Mel yeah. um, and 
we were going to talk about scripts and the definition of success. So, but I think maybe we've talked about part of that. Would you, are you defining scripts as those kind of normal negative or whatever messages the brain's sending us of what we should be doing? And that's what we're kind of trying to redefine. And, yeah. And what kind of do you mean by the definition of success? Yeah. So I think that there's, there's two key elements to that. One is that scripts, when I talk about scripts in particular with people, I'm, really helping them to unpack what are the scripts that other people write for us, what are the scripts that we write for ourselves, and what are the scripts we write for others. And it's really interesting because it it taps into that concept of the expectations that uh, we might be feeling others have of us, but also, you know, as a woman who may have had that experience where she said, why doesn't anybody help me? And then somebody does help me and then I'm like, but that's not how I'd pack the dishwasher. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing it the wrong way. (laughs) Hmm. So is that a script that I'm writing, you know, about my way or the highway? Uh, You know, so it it is about those influences. What's the messaging? What's the conditioning? Where did we pick that up? Maybe I'm not good enough because I, my script is that I believe I needed to have a, uh, you know, a university education to be successful. Maybe, you know, the script that I'm sort of working towards is that, you know, I need to make sure I've had a certain number of children and I'm actually somebody that that didn't have children, right? Yep. So even though that might have actually been your choice, you still live with the script and that you know, well, oh, when are you having kids? Why aren't you having kids? Yeah, okay. So there's there's just so, so many scripts that we live with. And it's, it's just about reading them mm-hmm. and going, where did that come from? Who wrote that? Yeah. Who wrote it? Yeah. And, oh, okay, maybe I've read it and that's been a part of my, you know, who I've been for a little while. But actually, I, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And, look, it all feeds into that idea of helping you define what success looks like. Because if, if I left the audience with a question, which was, if you, if you got to the end of your life, you know, and you wanted to write your own eulogy, write that definition of who you were and why you were successful, what, what would it say? What would it say? Mm. And so often it's not necessarily about how much you earned or what you drove or these external definitions of success, but in fact it's about the relationships you had, how you made people feel and, you know, what what your contribution was. So we have to know what that is really strongly to be able to consistently come back and anchor ourselves when we get pulled towards those uh you know, definitions of success that actually don't serve us. Mm. Yeah, because if you just say the word success then and ask people what it makes them think of, they'll probably automatically say, well, you know, a, a good job, good pay, um, big house, la, 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 la. Um, but framing it in that way as of what you would say at your eulogy, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard any eulogies at any funerals saying, oh, yeah, well, he, you know, he drove a Mercedes or exactly. he had a had the fancy house in um, I don't know 
uh, North Sydney or where somewhere yeah. fancy. Um, it's always been about what kind of person they are, and and um, and making that, yeah, a a measure of success can really just change how you feel of of being that success or that person who needs to learn more lessons. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's that's really that's really so interesting. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Mel, if people are interested in finding you and working with you, what is the best way that they could get in touch with you? How could they find you? Yeah, look, I am definitely on uh, Facebook uh, and Instagram, but honestly, the best place to start is to just go to the website, which is www.collectivewisdomcoaching.com. And then sort of all that contact information is there. But look, I love a chat. You might not have picked that up, uh, <laughs> Kath. So I love a chat. I'm also uh, maybe slightly addicted to coffee and I am a bit of a coffee snob. Um, but, you know, I look, I'm always, always willing to to just connect with people and, and have a look at what might suit them best, you know. So there's lots of different options. Uh, it it's not all one-on-one. There's online programs. I run something called the Real Success Academy. Um, and, you know, there's lots of ways. I also have lots of free resources that are just downloadable on the website. And maybe that's where someone's at. They're just interested in looking at one of the, one of the topics, downloading it. It generally has some information and then an activity or a tool to use mm. to uncover what yeah. might be going on. Maybe that's where they're at. There's something for everyone. Um, mm. Yeah. That's fantastic. And you also wrote a book, which you can have one minute to tell us about. What's that about? Uh, <laughs> look, that was, yeah, I, I was in an anthology of women talking about uh, their experiences. And so one of the things that I obviously talked about was uh, it was almost the, my own awakening following the, the hysterectomy. Uh, so, you know, kind of waking up from that and actually just feeling a, a real sense of relief, like talking about holding trauma in at a cellular level in our bodies. Uh, I certainly felt like I, I released something in that operation. And, you know, that was a, a real turning point for me in terms of my awakening. So that's kind of, you know, it's it's about the theme of showing up for yourself nobody else can do it for us mm. and showing up is not just about once you know there there has to be a, a a really loving commitment to ourselves to go i am worth this i am worth the investment i absolutely have the right just like everybody else does to have a life where i feel calm and caring and compassionate towards myself yeah and that's what they call the the mother of all beliefs, say, hey, or the 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 script. So so yeah. beliefs and script, I suppose, is an yep. intangible term here. Absolutely, that, that people mostly just feel that they're not worthy of things. Correct. And and if you can analyze that and realize that that is absolutely not true, um, then that can be then a, a a way to break through a whole bunch of other sort of. Um, Beliefs that are built upon that one, isn't Correct. it? Correct. Like that house that of foundation, the yeah. house of cards, built cards. on the foundation, <laughs> a foundation of a an internal lie. Let me tell yeah, you, people. That sounds like a good title of another book, Mel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me here on uh, Yes FM, uh, Mel. 
to travelling out to Yas. I will see you next week on Women's Voices on Yes FM.